together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you for for being our Savior. And Father, we are so thankful for the assurance that we can have that if we live right on this earth, that we can live with you for an eternity in heaven. Be with us as we worship today. May it be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We will be singing out of the book this morning, so I ask you to get your song books and turn number 144. 144. Sing all three verses. Oh, verse of the King, Oh, uh-huh. 
for giving us another day and especially another privilege here on this first day of the week to be able to assemble here as your people and to worship you. We pray and we ask that all that we do will find favor in your sight. We ask you to be with us as we go throughout the remainder of our time here together this morning and that we will be attentive and be receptive to your word with open hearts and open minds. And if there is anything in our lives that we need to correct, we pray that we will have the strength to and the humility to do so, to make those corrections. And may we likewise take these things and to share them with others as we have the opportunity. We Thank you for each and every one that is present here this day, and in like, like fashion, we ask you to be with those that are not with us, especially for those due to sickness, and we just pray that you will be with and comfort and strengthen them and any and all who are administering care to them as well, so that they may soon return to strength and health and be able to be with us here once more. We likewise ask you to be with those that are struggling with their faith for whatever reason, and we just pray that they too will remember to look into you, and may we be of aid to them as well, and may they be strengthened and comforted. And it is for these things that we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. You'd like to mark the invitation song, number 924. 924. Psalm before the scripture reading lesson this morning, number 490. 490. Sing the first and third verse. If it's convenient for you, please stand and sing this song. <clears throat> When peace like a river
Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us all, us in all our tribulations, that we may be all able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. And wherewith we be afflicted, it is for our consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also of the consolation. Good morning. I hope you can say, as you sang a moment ago, that it is well with your soul. When Horatio Spafford wrote that song, he was reflecting upon incredible tragedies in his own life, coming on the heels of the loss of his family in a seafaring accident. I don't know how many of us could say on the heel of that kind of suffering that it's well with my soul. But honestly, as you read these verses... Aren't you taken up with that idea? That no matter what happens, no matter the suffering that we enjoin, 
that in Jesus Christ we, we are so comforted. This morning we're going to delve into that. And I know that there are folks who are live streaming today, most likely because of this very thing, suffering. Suffering with the virus, suffering from conditions that's left them bedridden. And while we are present, I know that there are people here who are suffering physically. Some are suffering emotionally. And some, even having come through the doors of this church building, probably suffering spiritually. I want you to know that God intensely cares about that condition that you face. And He wants to provide you with comfort. In fact, He's made that available to all of us. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Before we start our study today, let's pray to God together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful to you for this new day that's filled with so many possibilities. We thank you for just this specific time that we are able to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that this worship of ours today is prompted not just by our love for you, but in recognition of all that you've done to make our relationship possible through Jesus. I pray, Lord, today especially that you will help to heal some of our wounds. Not that we would necessarily be healed physically or emotionally or spiritually, but that we would feel the comfort, we would feel your presence, your desire to wrap us up and to see to our progress with more than just an expectation of a turnaround here, but of a view toward eternal things. Help us to understand, Lord, that your comfort transcends this life and offers so much more than what we sometimes only see because we're looking down or we're depressed or or focused on a particular matter. Help us to lift up our eyes and see you. Lord, help help me to share the things I've learned from this text today and to do it in a way that people can really benefit. And I pray for those who are in the hearing of these words that they'll really give us hope and encouragement, and what you offer, comfort. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer today and for blessing us in this time of meditative worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you could already see in this text that Paul's assertion, right right in the very beginning of this book, that's kind of a follow-up to apparently a couple of writings that had been issued to the Corinthian brethren. This one, this one has a lot of heart in it. Paul is striving to mend some of the wounds, maybe, that had been inflicted. I'm not saying that those wounds weren't necessary. They probably were in order to motivate people to do the right thing. Nevertheless, when people are wounded, even 
even when we need it to be, when we need to be, be disciplined, still we want to recover. God wants us to recover. The whole idea of discipline is training. And so as God has dealt with the Corinthian church and offered his remedy for many of their problems, still as they're working through all of that, there is a spiritual void. And this text kind of gets at the central notion of that. Paul asserts that he, in his suffering, was being comforted, comforted by God. And he makes the point later in this text that was read that even in affliction, he says, when I'm afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation. When I am actually being encouraged, when I'm being built up, when God is restoring me, I know also that he is offering consolation and salvation, comfort. Today, what we want is what Paul had. We want to know that God is watching over our affairs and that as we're going through these things and maybe struggling with them, that he's attentive to our needs. Just as Paul had that assertion and that confidence going forward, the kind of confidence that would enable him to have the courage to fight any battle, I want us to leave here, at least with the knowledge of it, now being transformed into that warrior that he was, maybe that'll take some time, but I just want us to know that God's there with us. And this text will be central in helping us to understand that. I want us to know that God's providing some things for us in terms of comfort. God is providing comfort from heaven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I just love the way that sounds. It, it, it lifts God up, right? It, it praises Him and glorifies Him for what He is. But it's more than that. It's also a kind of definition of a part of what God actually is as we, we adore Him, we lift Him up. What, what does God do for me? Well, He says, let me tell you a little bit something about this God that we serve. He's the Father of mercies. That word mercies is interesting. You see the word mercy mentioned a lot of times in the scriptures, but as it's used right here, it's kind of an interesting little caveat. The sense of him being the father of something, of course, would suggest to us he's the originator of it. And so as God stands before us, one thing we learned that is originated in him is mercies. Okay, so mercies. It's not just that picture of the realm that we often talk about of judgment, where mercy is that situation where we don't actually get or God holds back from giving us what we actually deserve. It, it's, it's not that. The sense of mercy here is, well, it's like the grief that we feel when someone dies. It is when we see misfortune 
in the life of another person and we extend our heart to them. It's the idea of sympathy. Or here's a word that we don't like to hear when it's directed toward us, but it really carries a powerful sentiment, and that is the sense of pity. I suppose when we think about pitying one another, we might think, well, someone thinks they're, they're in a better position than me, so they're looking down on me, and I don't want your pity. But, but that isn't the sense of condescension that we would have among one another. Uh, that idea that we would abhor so much. I don't want you pitying me. Listen, God is greater than us. God is in a place higher than us. We are dependent on Him. And so the sense of God's pity is in response to the situation that we find ourselves in. Lord, I need your help. It's in that sense that He is the Father of mercies. He can condescend Himself to us. He can reach down and touch our infirmities, whatever they are. And I mentioned that it's not always physical. We have physical maladies. We hurt. We suffer. But there are emotional hurts that need tending. There are spiritual hurts. Sometimes those are the worst because they're the ones we try to hide from everybody else. But I need God to have attention to that too. To have His sympathies, His pity, His, his mercies on me. It was that kind of mercy, the condescending of God to man, that's depicted in John chapter 11, verse 35. You know, shortest verse in the Bible. It's the one we all want to quote when asked to quote a scripture. It just simply says, Jesus wept. Well, right there, that, that's the idea of God having mercy on us. His sympathy for our hurt. It's interesting because in this text, you know that immediately after this is stated, we make the move with Jesus to go to that tomb and raise Lazarus from the dead. That was Jesus' intention all along. It has been for several days now. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but you don't see Jesus marching into the area where the tomb is and asserting that or laughing as though these people are foolishly uh, enjoined in grief. And, you know, don't you know I'm on the scene now, the resurrection and the life? It's, it's about to be a party around here. That's not how Jesus did. Even knowing He's going to resurrect Lazarus to raise him from the dead, Jesus had sympathy. He manifested those mercies. He wept. That's our God. Even with the plan before Him, even with the outcome clear in the mind of God. Still, when it comes to our sufferings, our afflictions, our temptations and trials and troubles, God extends His mercies. It's interesting, in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13, it's that very thing that the tax collector was praying to God for. 
I think it's interesting because he would have been among the class of those who were on the outside, not expecting anything from God, I suppose. It's kind of like when you watch those television programs where your character who up until this point has no interest in God, all of a sudden there's a wrecking event that takes place in their life and he seemingly, very confidently, extends himself to God and says something along the lines of, well, now, you know, I never come to you. I I, I really don't know how to pray, but I need this. Now, in that heart, I, I couldn't say. That's pretend. But this text wasn't pretend. Here was a guy on the outside, probably very rarely connected with the things of God, certainly not measuring up to the elite religious example that's just a few steps beyond him in the person of that Pharisee. But here, the tax collector, with a last gasp, ditch effort to get the mercy and the attention of God, just owns it all. You know, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't have anything else to say. I mean, that's the subject. That's the whole of it. Yeah, I've got things in my life I I could be interested in. I I could have given paragraph after paragraph of things that are of interest to me, things I want. But Lord, the ultimate thing, I need your mercy. I need your sympathy on me. I am, I am a sinner. I see see God in the person of Jesus extending that to people. I see that in the case of a sinner begging God for something that he doesn't have. Please give attention to me. But, you know, the thing is that, that part of this arrangement is that you and I, we become the vessels through whom that mercy is extended. I'm talking specifically about us, members of the body here. How do I get the support that I need from God? Philippians 2 verse 1 touches that. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. The, The oneness that we enjoy is partly due to the fact that we are extending this kind of mercy, sympathy, compassion toward one another. That's what builds our oneness. Not that we have the same social standing and so we can mingle that way. Not because we have the same educational uh, levels. It's not because we speak clearly to one another. It's because we genuinely extend care to one another. Comfort as it came from heaven to us. That's that's the mercies of God. But here's the thing about the mercies of God. The mercies, once we've received them, are going to result in something. You know, God isn't looking at us to extend mercy for nothing. God has a plan, an end result that He is desirous to reach in us and through us. And so He is the Father of mercies. He originates that. And He is the God of all comfort. Now, comfort carries the idea of encouragement, you know, being built up, 
having the courage restored to us. It also has the idea of blessing, putting in something that is lacking. He's that. He is the God of all comfort. He is the one who can provide whatever it is that is lacking through an encouragement, through the, through the blessing. Of course, you know, God's, God's ultimate concern, and I don't want us to misunderstand this, is He concerned when I'm physically ill? Sure. Is He concerned when I hurt emotionally? Yes. But God's desire is bigger than our physical, material, earthbound, life-delineated circumstance. God's concerned about the eternal. I may suffer, literally suffer, my whole physical life. I may have been born with something that doctors can't remedy. And so I, I literally experience suffering physically my whole life. I may have some deficits that cause me to be emotionally damaged my entire life. Pity, sympathy, Lord, I need your mercies, yes, but God's ultimate concern is not the limitation of this physical life. God's ultimate concern is my spiritual result. And so I was thinking about Romans 12, right? Paul says, I'm, I'm beseeching you. Now he's talking to brethren, brethren who for one reason or another haven't put it all together. Yeah, they become Christians and yeah, they wear the name of Jesus Christ, but the practical aspect of the life that they're living hasn't quite reach the, the level that is necessary to, to continue successfully to the end. So he says, I'm begging you, therefore, brethren, listen, by the mercies, literally the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Begging on the basis of His mercies. Listen, God's going to extend those mercies to you, but you, 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 you participate in this thing. You, you transform your life. You become a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. That's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is on the basis of God's calling with His tender mercies. And I think of uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and following, you know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. I don't know if you experience this. Maybe you're one of those that sleeps in every day. I don't know. No judgment here, but I, I'm just telling you, when, when you see the beginning of a brand new day, you're out there and you feel, you, you can literally feel it as the sun breaks the horizon. It's going to be a great day. But every day has a sunrise to it. God doesn't extend His mercy and that's it. The expectation is that mercy is going to continue on and on. And in that provision of mercy is comfort. God has encouraged and blessed me. He has done so to the extent that not only is He, you know, don't get the idea He's like a cheerleader over there. He's just kind of back there pushing you on. God is invested in all of us. 
He has invested so deeply in all of us that instead of just calling us associates or those who who just kind of tag along with God, He has called us His children. In Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you received the spirit of um, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not worthy to be compared. What God is going to do for us spiritually far exceeds whatever it is that we had hoped to receive for Him in terms of a physical comfort or an emotional comfort. Oh, we pray all kinds of things. We make a wish list. But here's what God is intimately and deeply concerned about. Not the temporary but He is deeply concerned and invested in us as His children in the spiritual, in the eternal. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Not only is there comfort from heaven in the form of God extending that to us, but there is also comfort on earth in terms of the comfort that we receive from one another. As you have gone through your circumstance, whatever it is, and you have benefited from the comfort that God extends to you, so you have learned about God's interaction with you, and now you become an encouragement, a comforter for me. That's how we build one another up in the body of Christ. I'll be honest with you. You already know this. But this life is filled with all kinds of tribulation and trouble. Lots of it. In the book of Psalms 34 and verse 19, we find out that the very fact is that we're all facing those difficulties and trials. It is basically a proverb. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, He has delivered Him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Wait, we're talk- we already saw how we're children. We're His children, children of God. Many are the afflictions of those folks. But right there He is. Our comforter, he is there to provide the means by which we can flow through it. Not necessarily that we will be unsaddled with that which is oppressing us, but he is providing us the means by which to navigate it, to make it all the way. Many are the afflictions. You know, there isn't anybody who embodies the affliction of the righteous any more than Jesus. Let me just give you... I don't know, the furthest degree of an example of that. So in Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, 
Here is Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One. He is the Just One. Okay, now stop right there. Is He righteous? (laughs) I mean, He's the Holy One, all capitals. He is the Just One, capital. He's it. He's God. That is perfect in holiness and in uh, being just. But the text there says, despite that being true, he was denied. And instead, the people, they wanted a murderer. Think about that for a minute. Was that just? You know, Jesus comes, the Son of God, to save everybody. You know, to have have his blood shed so that people can have their sins washed away. Why wouldn't everybody take advantage of that? Well, here's one reason. It's because not everybody sees him as we see Him. They don't see Him as the just one. They don't see Him as the holy one. They see Him as the one to be denied and to take up whatever it is that would, you know, just kind of fill in the blank of murderer. Maybe it isn't uh, the, the case of going back to the first century. You could just fill in anything and say, I deny Jesus. Is that right? That is not right. That is not just In the book of Job, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Man who is born of woman is of few days, you know it, and full of trouble. We don't have long, but our lives are fraught with difficulties. In fact, this text goes on to talk about the fleeting nature of our lives. It's here for just a moment. In fact, he says it's, it's like a flower that fades. It's like a shadow that doesn't continue. God's mercies might appear every morning, but that is no promise of our physical life. It is very tentative. In the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33, In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus says, I I have overcome the world. Okay, so in overcoming it and, okay, receiving the comfort of God, what is it that I have? You're saying, Ken, that I, I don't necessarily have the thing that's causing my suffering removed, but I transcend that? Yes, and let me take it a step further. Not only do we transcend it, we're, we're, not, we're not avoiding it or we're not putting it out of our mind. This isn't some mental exercise that we're doing. This is a spiritual exercise. So what I'm trying to do is set aside my, my concentration on physical things and put them on spiritual things. So much so will that be effective in my life that James goes this far in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, be committed to this. But if you are committed to it, you can have joy and you can have a sense of patience as you go through the struggles of this life. Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Whether that is a physical, emotional, or yes, even a spiritual setback, God, who is the Father of mercies, the God of all comforts, provides the means by which we can transcend that. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 refers to these kinds of things. And get this, and don't knock him, just think about it for a minute, that these things are light afflictions. You say, Ken, there's nothing light about what I'm dealing with. I, I'm peace. I'm not minimizing what you face. It hurts. It's difficult. But again, it is temporary. And if I could look at it in that sense as a temporary thing, then I realize that I have eternity ahead of me. What would that cause me to be able to do? Well, Paul, the one who said that, <laughs> described it this way. You know, he was put under pressure by those who weren't apostles and were questioning his credentials. And Paul just comes clean with it and then just kind of lays out an unimaginable discourse of difficulties that he faced. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they sons of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. And labors more abundant and stripes above measure in prison more frequently and deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the city, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirsting and fasting, often in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I'll boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Paul was concerned about spiritual things. You say, didn't it hurt when he was scourged? Sure it did. Didn't it, didn't it hurt, you know, when he got shipwrecked and didn't have the provision? Sure. Didn't it hurt when brethren turned their backs on him emotionally? Didn't that just pain him? Absolutely. Didn't these things hurt? Yes, but they're temporary. Because Paul had his mind set on something greater. These are light afflictions. So I have comfort from God, from heaven. I have comfort on earth. And let's just, let's just say it. I have comfort in suffering. Okay, so Paul said that they embodied the sufferings of Christ. But then he said the consolation that we receive comes through Christ. In other words, okay, I'm going to be the Christian and I'm going to, I'm going to trust God and yeah, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to keep my mind on heaven, keep my mind on spiritual things. I'm going to live for the Lord 
And in that, as I suffer, I'm going to suffer for Christ. But as I'm suffering for Christ, I'm also going to receive consolation or comfort from Jesus. I love that image. Maybe it would help, I don't know, if we set the idea of suffering against the notion of comfort. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Who when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, here it is. Jesus endured suffering because he trusted God for the outcome. He kept his mind set on heaven. And as a result, he washed our sins away. Now, when I trust in what he did and I saw the sufferings that he went through, I can follow in his footsteps in that regard. I can trust God just like Jesus trusted God. In fact, if I put it in this scenario, I trust Jesus who trusted in God. So if I'm trusting Jesus trusted in God, I should trust Jesus when I'm going through the midst of my trials because the one who's going to support and comfort me is the very same one that supported and comforted him. I trust that. Why wouldn't I trust him now, even now, in my own life? In fact, it's, it's, so, it's so important that we trust in him and the decisions that we make that the whole idea of suffering takes on its own special meaning. I mean, very detailed, okay? It isn't just any kind of suffering that we might go through. Sometimes we suffer as a result of choices that we made. Second Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 6, or 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 16, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Okay, so you suffer. But you suffer because you did something to somebody. Lord, save me. No, no, not that. You know, we've been striving all along in our review to serve God, to keep our mind on spiritual things. So he says, your glorifying God isn't in any old kind of suffering. The kind of suffering we're talking about is the kind of suffering in commitment to the Lord Jesus. And then when I do have physical or emotional suffering, I, I realize that that's going to be temporary. What I'm aspiring to is eternal. Another thing that you and I can enjoy in terms of comfort in the midst of suffering is the fact that we're all in this together. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, beginning... The Hebrews writer says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For after you have received the promise, you may inherit the blessing. For yet, 
a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But he says we don't draw back to perdition. But we're of those who believe to the ultimate saving of the soul. Our desire is to go to heaven. And the trials and the tribulations, the setbacks, the sufferings that we endure in this life, do not, do not compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Paul said he suffered, but that he had received comfort. You and I, when we suffer, we can receive the same dose of comfort with an eye toward an eternal comfort, a home in heaven someday. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There's going to be plenty of suffering and setbacks in this life. But honestly, this isn't what we're preparing for. We're preparing for eternity. To be together with the Lord forever and ever. Today, if you're a child of God, you've lost sight of that. I want you to remember, you're serving Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Those trials and tribulations that you face, physical, emotional, they may last a lifetime. But our investment is in spiritual things. So today, if you've lost sight of that, let's pray together about that, okay? Maybe you're not a child of God. Today, the only way you can have that degree of comfort is by being in Jesus Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is through obedience to the gospel. So today, if you believe he's the son of God and you're ready to repent of your sins, turn away from them to follow him, if you'll confess that faith, you can be buried in this water right here, immersed, have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, you'll rise in newness of life. If there's anybody who needs to respond today, now's your opportunity to do that. Why don't you come if, we, if you need to? while we stand and sing this song.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Three one five. When I survey the wondrous cross, after we sing this, we will partake of the Lord's supper. Three. When I theme this year is the power of one. Many times throughout history, the power of one has saved countless lives and stopped great calamities. Whether it was a great military leader or a serviceman or just a common everyday average person. Freedom comes at a great cost. 
friend of mine some time ago who's a veteran told me when he enlisted in the military that pretty much to sum it up, when he enlisted, he pretty much wrote a blank check to the U.S. government. You know, we think about that. He pretty much sacrificed and told them to take whatever you need. He did this for American freedom for each one of us. Jesus' sacrifice was for freedom from sin, not only for Americans, but for everyone, for all of our people who have passed on for us now and for our children who have not yet been born. What a great power of one. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let us give thanks for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this time to come together. Lord, we're thankful to partake of this bread, which represents Thy body and great sacrifice that was made for us. Lord, we pray that we'll partake of this in a manner well-pleasing unto Thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, in like manner, we thank Thee, Lord, for this cup, which represents Thy blood, the sacrifice that was shed for us and cleanses us from iniquities, Lord. We're ever so thankful for all that has been done for us, Lord. We pray that we'll partake of this in a manner pleasing unto Thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're also at this time commanded to give. There's multiple ways in the screen to, to make ready this ability. Let's give thanks of how we've been blessed and our ability to give our portion back. Dear Heavenly Father, we're ever so thankful of our strengths and abilities, our health, our mental capacity to be able to carry out things in this world and gain monetary gain and pray, Lord, that we will use these things to glorify thy kingdom and Use them in a way to help others, Lord, and carry out thy will to be done. Lord, we ask that we give this cheerfully, joyfully, and forgive us, Lord, of our shortcomings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Glad to see all of you here this morning. As always, if you're visiting with us today, we invite you to come back at any opportunity that you have. I have a few announcements this morning. The Sunday afternoon services at Landmark Nursing Facility have been postponed until further notice due to COVID restrictions. Also, the Golden Circle January luncheon that was scheduled for this coming Tuesday has also been postponed. Uh, there will be a World Evangelism Workday on Friday, January the 28th in Winona. The bus will leave at 8 a.m. and return by 6 p.m. This is for anyone in a congregation who would like to be part of this good work. A sign-up sheet is on the table in the foyer. Uh, also a reminder, plan to be here this evening at 5 o'clock as we will get things started together uh, in the auditorium with Kids Sing. 
uh, brief announcements and a prayer before dismissing to our Bible classes. We had 238 in attendance this morning. I have a, a few cards that would need to read to the congregation. Dear church family, we would like to thank all of you for the cards, visits, and food prepared for us during the loss of our precious mother. We will always remember your acts of kindness in our time of loss. God bless you all, the family of Jetty Yates. Dear church family, thank you so much for the fruit basket. I'm enjoying it so much. And thanks to Janita Estes and Liam Sappington for delivering it to me. In Christian love, Mary Ellen Johnson. Before I dismiss this in prayer, Brother Morgan asked me to ask everyone immediately after that, uh, remain seated just briefly. The elders have some scholarship presentations they want to do. So if you will, please stay for that. If you will, bow with me and I'll dismiss this in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you in song and praise. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your church here at Boonville and the many works that it does. Father, we ask that you continue to lead all of us and guide us in a way that will be pleasing unto thee. Father, we have several of our number that are sick, that are in, in need of prayer. We ask that you comfort them as only you can. Father, we ask you to continue to go with us through this upcoming week and throughout our everyday lives and help us to live and work and play in a manner that will be pleasing unto thee. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross that we might have an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day and forgiveness of our sins. It's through his precious name we pray. Amen. <laughs>